0: Welcome to Your Lot and Parcel Podcast with your host, Benjamin Diaz, designed strictly for you, the consumer. You will find that this platform has your best interests at heart. Benjamin, thank you for joining me today. My guest speaks from a personal perspective. She is like any other person out there, a single working mom with two kids in middle school. Her own experience, however, ultimately led her to specialize in treating eating disorders. She wanted to be the therapist she never had. On our show, she defines eating disorders such as anorexia, Bulimia nervosa, binge eating disorders, and what can trigger the onset of this mental illness. Is there a genetic predisposition? She addresses that question today. You will be astonished how pervasive eating disorders are in this country. She has decades of experience as a clinical psychologist and is a eating disorder specialist. She is the founder and host of the popular podcast Behind the Bite podcast. Let's welcome Dr. Christina Castagnini. Of course, uh, eating healthy is, is about balance. You know, making sure that our body is getting the necessary nutrients for us to function properly. However, however, sometimes we do develop an imbalance or a preoccupation with food, as which is not a uh, lifestyle choice. From what I gather, and I'm glad to have you on the show, Doctor, and I. And I, I like to ask uh, for you to tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you down the path to the topic of eating disorder, if, if you would. Oh
1: Well, thanks for having me on here. Um, so I'm a licensed psychologist and also a certified eating disorder specialist. And really what got me into uh, treating eating disorders is I actually had one myself uh, when I was starting in middle school. Mm. And I always knew I wanted to be a a psychologist, but I didn't really want to treat eating disorders because I thought that was too close to home and I never wanted to risk putting my own issues into the room with my patients. And so I kind of steered away from it. And what I found was uh, as I was getting new patients into the room, I kept finding there was this, these questions that kept coming up and people talking about things and, and, Lo and behold, they had never been asked questions about food or their bodies. And mm-hmm. I kept connecting with people and they didn't have to explain a whole lot. And so um, I never had a therapist myself during treatment who had had an eating disorder. So I always felt like there was just this lack of connection. Um, mm-hmm. But what I found was people were really connecting with me because I just got it and I understood it. So um, I, I kind of changed my mind <laughs> and then went, you know what, let me go get certified to treat eating disorders. Um, and now that's really what I do is I, um, that's my focus. And I said it, I wanted to become that therapist I never had for myself.
0: Good. That's uh, admirable. I, 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 I want to congratulate you for that. Uh, but would you be uh, so kind and of define uh, an eating disorder for us? And is there a criteria that must be met for that, uh, doctor?
1: Um, Well, eating disorders are really serious mental health problems. Uh, They really signify a person's unhealthy relationship with food. And there are different criteria for the different ones. So the three main ones are anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating. Mm -hmm. And so with each of those, we have our diagnostic manual, and there's specific criteria for each of those that must be met for someone to have a diagnosis of one of those three.
0: Mm-hmm. I understand. Okay. As, as, uh, how common, uh, let me ask you that, how common are eating disorders?
1: Uh, well, you know, it's an interesting question. So uh, right, we estimate about 30 million Americans right now are struggling with an eating disorder. Uh, but it is actually really hard to know because mm-hmm. so many people who struggle with them don't come in for help. Or if mm-hmm. they do come in for help, it's not really identified Uh, oftentimes people are thought they're just dieting or uh a lot of my patients for instance they'll go to their medical doctors and be told oh keep up the good work you're exercising so great and eating so well (laughs) you know so um or maybe my patients who have binge eating disorder for instance they're really ashamed of how much they're eating so they won't go in and talk about it um and, and you know likewise for men there's a lot of shame uh Mm. and stigma around that so i think there's a lot of people who are not coming in that we're just missing the mark on so that's a guesstimate but i have i have a feeling there's a lot more people out there than we know about
0: that's interesting 30 million so i mean we're talking about 350 million here in this country it's about uh, 10 percent, almost 10 Mm percent that's that's some that's i mean that's uh, amazing i um are Are certain personality traits uh, more common in in individuals with eating disorders? Uh, Could could you address that?
1: Sure. Um, So people who tend to have perfectionistic tendencies, Mm. um, who are impulsive, or maybe have obsessive thinking, or uh, sensitive to reward and punishment. uh, Mm. Really, the biggest one I see is people who really are perfectionistic and really hard on themselves.
0: Mm. My goodness, I would think the media has uh, has a lot to do with that, don't you think? I mean, where you got to have the, the right shape, uh, or you know, your, your physique, and and so forth. What what do you think about that? You, you think that's a valid uh, observation?
1: Yeah, you know, there's a lot of different causes, and mm-hmm. certainly, you know, we live in a society and a culture where
0: mm-hmm.
1: the images we're seeing uh, are they're unrealistic they and un- they're photoshopped they're not real and so especially with the uh, so you know with the internet now uh, back in my day we didn't have the internet we had magazines and tv and movies and billboards but you know now it's just we're inundated with millions of messages and images all day long and certainly that's i think especially during the pandemic people were seeing more fake images on social media of people than they were actual people and so when that happens people just kind of get this sense of that's what you're supposed to look like or that's what's quote-unquote beautiful or that's what's attractive mm-hmm. and so you just see it over and over and over again and that's what gets put in your mind's eye as to what's attractive and beautiful.
0: My goodness you know I know at um I mean there's billions of dollars spent on the I'm thinking of the the uh the um well, on TV and other medias. Uh, and they say, you know, people say, well, that that, that can't influence me. But I'll tell you what, they're not spending billions of dollars for nothing. There is an influence. Um, so I can see how that can be uh, detrimental uh, for someone that uh, may be vulnerable in this area here. But how is, uh, at, you spoke about anore- anorexia, I believe is how you pronounce it, bulimia, nervosa. Mm-hmm. How is that manifested? Can you, can you share that with us?
1: You know, again, there's so many causes and um, you can't just pinpoint one. So there's genetic, environmental, oh. like you said, the or sociological factors. Mm. Um, there's so many different things that kind of play into that. And so, you know, I've been doing this for a lot of years and I can tell you there's not, <laughs> there's not like one cookie cutter. Like mm. this is why this person has this one or this is why this person has this illness or disorder it's really uh, an individual everybody's got their own story
0: yes but but how do you define those two i mean we're talking about anorexia and bulimia i'm not Mm -hmm. sure what the difference is there
1: so when you're talking about um i guess there's there are differences and so sorry um so with anorexia people are really restricting their energy intake. So they're restricting their food. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there's this fear of being fat or gaining weight. And so it's, um, e- even though they may be underweight, they may not be. And I think that's a misperception out there is that people think someone who has anorexia looks emaciated or they look like they're quote unquote starving. and uh, that's not really the case really it's a disturbance in the way um, their body or shape is experienced so they have this um, undue the way they experience their body has a huge influence on their self-esteem their self-evaluation and they really deny how serious it is uh, what they're doing so you know for the rest of us we way more and have much more in regard to how much we're fueling our bodies and giving our bodies. And for someone who has anorexia nervosa, it's, uh, they're just not giving their bodies enough food. And there's this actual fear of food, fear of eating and fear of gaining weight.
0: Mm. I know that um, these disorders, uh, I, I read that it has the, the highest mortality than any mm-hmm. other mental illness. I'm not sure if that's correct, or not, but I read that somewhere. You know, that is true. Mm-hmm. I know. Um, I know um, from what I've read, uh, yeah, there's different uh, disorders. I, I believe I read somewhere eight different disorders. You know, but can you can you tell us about uh, binge eating disorder? Is, is that a standalone disorder, or how, how does what, what, how does that work? Sure. So, and actually, that one
1: um, was. Uh, just brought into the DSM, the newest version of the DSM, the Diagnostic Manual. Mm-hmm. And what that is, it's uh, recurrent imp- episodes of binge eating. Uh, in a binge eating episode, it's characterized by, um, so in a discrete period of time, so within, say, like a two-hour period, someone will eat an amount of food that's definitely larger than what most people would eat in that similar time period mm-hmm. or under similar circumstances. And when they're eating, there's this sense of lack of control over their eating during the episode. So they're, they really feel they can't stop eating or they're out of control of, in regard to how much they're eating. And with that criteria, um, binge eating episodes are associated with three or more of the following. So they um, eat much more rapidly than normal. They eat until they feel uncom- uncomfortably full. So mm-hmm. the body just feels, you know, very very full um eating large amounts of food when they're feeling when they're not physically hungry so you're eating because you're physically hungry or you're not And with binge eating they're not physically hungry to start with uh eating alone because they feel embarrassed by how much they're eating so when someone's binge eating i'll often ask like do you do this in front of people like oh no i would never do that in front of anybody Mm -hmm. um they also feel, feel disgusted with themselves, uh, depressed or really guilty after. So they really beat themselves up and go, oh, I can't believe I did that. What was he thinking? Mm-hmm. I'm never going to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really feel distressed regarding, um, the fact that they're doing this and it's with the binge eating. So in comparison to say bulimia nervosa, which is the other disorder we I brought up, um, mm-hmm with binge eating, there's no compensatory behavior. So meaning like they're not going to go uh, force themselves to vomit or over exercise to try to make up for the, the amount of food that they've just ingested. They, um, it, so they're not doing that to try to compensate for the amount of fuel they've just ingested or the amount of food they've just taken in versus with like bulimia nervosa, um, they will, try to engage in some compensatory behavior to make up for the amount of food they've just eaten.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay. So they're trying to mitigate the, the effects of how much they've eaten. The, uh, I understand that. Yeah. We are visiting with a psychologist and a eating disorder specialist, and she is bringing to our attention the public – the mental illness known as a eating disorder, and she's making it clear that there is hope for recovery. Let's welcome back Dr. Christina Castagnini. Then, then I, I was reading about this other disorder. It's called um, Avoidant uh, Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure how that is manifested.
1: Well, that's different a little bit. Um, so it's so it's. An eating uh, or feeding disturbance, and it's it's signified by a few things: it's significant weight loss, or really a failure to achieve expected weight gain, um, or with children, they're they're not growing according to what would be expected, and they have a significant nutritional deficiency, um, and they have a real market. It, it really interferes with their their psychosocial functioning because they're not. They're avoiding certain foods, so they're really picky eaters, right? They would look like really picky eaters to the rest of us. Mm -hmm. The difference with this compared to, um, say, anorexia nervosa, for say, someone who's restricting their food, they're not fearing gaining weight. This isn't about, like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to gain weight if I eat this food. It's not that kind of fear of food. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's very different. It's just... um, I guess I don't know how to say it other than that it's just with anorexia nervosa someone has uh, their self-esteem and their self-worth and oh, is really dependent on how they look and what they're eating and if they're following the rules and someone who's got avoided restrictive food intake disorder that's not what this is about it's more really about the food
0: oh, I see okay all right having said and discussed some of those disorders what can trigger the onset of an eating disorder, doctor, can you, can you share that?
1: You know, and again, it's so different for everybody. And what, mm-hmm. what used to be the, the myth was that it was, um, you know, teenage girls had eating, the way Caucasian, you know, middle-class teenage girls had eating disorders, and those were the only people that had them. And so with that, it was, we went down that trajectory and had all sorts of ideas about what could have brought that on but to be honest eating disorders don't discriminate whether it's you know they affect people of all genders ages races ethnicities body shapes weights sexual orientations and socioeconomic statuses so when you're looking at that and thinking like well what what triggers this across the board it can depend on so many different things it could be trauma it could be like for instance i have a lot of women now who are struggling with eating disorders at the onset of menopause um other people it's children you know they they have chaotic households or it can be teenagers it can it, it's such a variety of different things for each individual
0: mm. so um yeah, I, I guess they, they address food as a Um, a way to comfort themselves, I guess, from whatever they're having to deal with, uh, I suppose, uh, stress and anxiety. Uh, You did touch about uh, genetic. Uh, So there is a genetic predisposition, doctor, at at, at times? Yeah, so genetic factors behind eating disorders, um, Mm -hmm.
1: it's complex. (laughs) Um, There really needs to be more study and advancement in it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But definitely there there is a there is um they need to be taken into consideration so um they can be predictive of an, having an eating disorder and can contribute to the onset of one but mm-hmm. it's not again the whole picture and so
0: right,
1: it, it, there's much research being done right now to really look at that and definitely um, they can play a role but it's not the only root cause of why someone has an eating disorder
0: right, so, so. Um, uh, currently, though, currently, is there any genetic studies that can isolate the, the genes uh, that contribute uh, toward this behavior? Yeah,
1: there's a lot of different studies going on right now, which is fascinating for me to see as someone in the field. Um, so for instance, there was a study by Michigan State University that found that there there are genetic <laughs> risk factors for the development of the eating disorders. And um, the study looked at 514 year old twin females and found that prior to puberty, environmental factors were the link to developing eating disorders. But after puberty, there's a 50 percent genetic reason for eating disorder emergence. So um, like that was one study. And there's tons of studies going on right now.
0: Um, Um, That's interesting. And uh, I think my audience can can appreciate what you're saying there. you know, an eating disorder, does it occur with a particular group, uh, let's say gender, ethnic or racial background?
1: No, again, what we're finding is it they don't discriminate. They affect okay. people, yeah, all genders, all ages, races, ethnicities, body shapes, weights, sexual mm-hmm. orientations from all socioeconomic statuses. And I think that surprises people. I think there's mm-hmm. for so long been these myths out there that um, you know, which has been detrimental to to many people thinking like, okay, I'm a male of this age of this ethnic group. I can't possibly have an eating disorder. And I think people are often shocked when like they come in my office, for instance, you know, I think you're struggling with an eating disorder. It's like, what are you talking about? I just eat too much. <laughs> like, or <laughs> what are you talking about? Like, I'm just training for this marathon. And it's like, no, you're, I think this is something else. It's like, what? It's, it's a shock.
0: Yeah yeah my goodness what uh what forms of care have uh, proven successful modalities of treatment that that you can tell us about
1: okay. so uh cognitive behavioral therapy uh mm-hmm. is one that is um used mostly with adults there's also dbt with its dialectical behavioral therapy and then uh with the younger folk the, the children we use mostly approach family-based Treatment families huge in terms of being able to support um, people who have their, their children in terms of like food and following mm-hmm. the meal plans and being there to support with treatment. Mm-hmm.
0: So, so, so there's a team of uh, of um, uh, disciplines that are involved. Uh, you said therapist, uh, dietitian, I guess right, dietitian and a medical doctor. I would think plays yeah. that correct?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, for instance, in my practice, um, the majority of the people I work with, I'm an outpatient. Uh, so there's me as a therapist and then there's a nutritionist or dietitian, a specialist in eating disorders on board and then a medical doctor who's monitoring all the vitals and labs. And uh, sometimes there's a psychiatrist on board. It depends. Everybody's different. Uh, and as a team, we're all collaborating and coordinating to make sure the the person is is doing well
0: yes very good i um how can my audience uh, reach out to you and connect with you and uh, and what words of encouragement can you tell us um, for those that are struggling with uh, these disorders uh, doctor and uh, we have a website can you tell us a little bit about that sure
1: uh so my i have my own podcast um it's mm-hmm. uh behind the bite and that's where all, you can listen to all the podcasts. They're just based um, on people who have struggled with or are still struggling with eating disorders. So the uh, premise of the podcast is just for people to relate to others who are going through it. Um, I also have experts on there who discuss eating disorders. Uh, so I have a mix of professional and, and personal uh, guests on there. And I also have my practice website, which is freedomtowellness.com and mm-hmm. uh, in terms of giving hope i just have to say i think there's this huge myth out there that full recovery from an eating disorder is impossible that you know you're always going to struggle with that a little bit or it's always going to be there or you're going to relapse at some point point. and i just want to put that myth to rest because i wouldn't be doing this work and i wouldn't be so adamant about like being on a podcast like this so thank you for mm-hmm. allowing me the time and space to speak um sure because I'm fully recovered and I know over the years, I've seen my patients get fully recovered. I have colleagues who are, and don't lose that hope. Because if I think if somebody has it in their mind that it's, it's never really gonna go away, it just that's very powerful. What we think and what we believe is so powerful. And so if you could just put in your mind, like, no, you know what, I can fully recover. This doesn't have to rule my life. It doesn't have to be part of my life. That's really powerful too. So hold on to that hope and just know that's possible.
0: Yes, very good. Well, I appreciate what you had to say. And uh, because from where you're coming from, it's empirical, and we've been there. And uh, that in itself uh, does encourage those that there is uh, recovery available there. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, Doctor. I really do. And I really admire what you're doing. And uh, I want you to keep up the good work. Okay.
1: Thank you. This has been amazing to be on your show. I really appreciate it and all that you're doing as well.
0: Thank you. Thank thank you. For you listeners, if you have a suggestion or a recommendation of a subject matter you want to discuss, please let me know at yourlotandparcel.com. And now, if you would excuse me. This program has been produced by Isaac Diaz with music by Echo Foxtone. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. For more information, please visit the website yourlotandparcel.com.